Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this weekend's UFC card. Here are your hosts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Vivisection with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Connor Rebush. We're here once again talking about this week's UFC card going down in Perth, Australia on February 12th. Headlined by a super fight, lightweight title fight between champion Islam Makachev and featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky. We're diving into the prelims right now with a featured prelim between Tyson Pedro and recently reacquired Modestus Bukowskis, who was given the chop after that brutal leg kick TKO from Khalil Roundtree that snapped his thigh. Mm. And, uh, Went over to Cage Warriors, won a couple fights there, and is now back in the UFC. Otherwise, on a prelim card, that um, they're definitely fights, and they're definitely fights featuring guys from Oceana, and that's uh-huh. about it. How am I feeling this way? The way I'm feeling right now, looking at a the the undercard, even just the first prelim, the featured prelim. You mean with elves? <laughs> no, I just mean look at the fight that's at the top of this card. Oh, the, the prelim, the feature first, the, the first one we're going to talk about. The yeah, the, yeah, not with the elves, not yeah. with the elves. One of my favorite B movies. <laughs> um, <clears throat> how am I feeling this way, Zane? What's going on? Tyson Pedro Modesto Spukowskis. I mean, oh, but I just mean just explain the way I'm feeling to me, which is not what's good. What's feeling is that Tyson Pedro <laughs> was gone from this sport for f- four years uh-huh. due to numerous health complications, uh-huh. and has come back and fought the absolute lowest end of the division, and looked good, but it's still really hard to know what is left of him who is this man this 31 year old former top prospect yeah who you know was part he was part of shogun hua's late career you know shogun really isn't losing as often as i thought he would Mm -hmm. stretch Mm -hmm. was knocking out tyson pedro a guy who before his injuries was running headlong into traps that it seemed like he should have been able to avoid. Yeah. So it's really hard to know coming back still, you know, a a year now into his comeback. Yeah. Who is this Tyson Pedro dude? Like who, who is, what do we expect out of him? Is it right to put him to expect him to be a top 15 fighter? And on the other side, you've got Modestus Kauskas, who is a dark sorcerer is a dark sorcerer um and who came to the UFC with a game that looked surprisingly incomplete it's like heavyweight so it's not really surprising but no his game looked perfectly adequate if i'm being honest looked perfectly adequately incomplete <clears throat> yeah and it showed up entirely incomplete in the UFC it was a negative uh, you know, un- 
uncreative range kicking game with punching that had to be really overloaded on regionally and guys just stormed it. I don't know how I, uh, I tricked you into uh, breaking down the matchup, even though it's supposed to be me. No, I, I'm All not I was even really breaking. asking is like, why do I feel so tired? Well, you feel so tired because like we have two guys who failed at very basic tests <laughs> in the UFC already. Uh-huh. And the principal draw of them fighting now is, well, they've been gone for a while. Yeah. That's the draw. And one of them is from Australia. They put they they put they took they both took big steps back and they both were gone from the UFC for a while for different reasons. And that's the draw. Like we have seen these guys take on mid-tier light heavyweights already and just fail. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so yeah. The question is the only question to answer is or to ask is are they better for being gone? Yeah, I mean I think Tyson Pedro, I believe it is pronounced upsettingly. Pedro? I think that's how they say it. Sort of like when you find out that they say Megan Anderson. Yeah. Um, He's Australians, man. Um, (laughs) He really can't. I will say that he has definitely gotten better. What is difficult to ascertain is how um, durable those improvements are against an opponent who doesn't suck complete ass. Yeah. Because that is of the unfortunate truth of, uh, of, of Pedro's last two performances. Mm-hmm. Is that I mean, yes, he is like showing a better strike selection. He's showing, I think, some better movement. He's show, he looks a little more like patient overall. The big thing that I think seems to have happened is that somebody really taught him to faint. Yeah, that is a major years. But yeah, when you're dealing with a a pretty large deficit of skill, like a small, yeah, nuance like that, like faints are massively important. Yep, they drilled it into him, and it's made him more patient because now the same, the same high that he used to get out of going in and like swinging wild at somebody and just like going all out and throwing himself into somebody's offense head first. He can now get that same, that same thrill with like a hip twitch, you know, he's he's going all Elvis out there where it's just, you know, driving the girls crazy. Right. (laughs) All elves out there. Um, All elves out there. But, yeah, like, these these opponents are ass. Yes. Like, they're really uh, unathletic. They are smaller. um, And they're just, like, bad strikers. Like, Mm -hmm. they they just... And they're they're just the most bound to fall for feints, guys. Absolutely. And and they fall for feints in a really exploitable way because they're both really slow. Yeah. They're like, oh, like, when they bite in a feint, you get, like, a two-second window to figure out what to do. Yep. Um, yeah, and so then I, I watch those, and everybody's really impressed with Pedro. And then I go back and I watch like his fight with OSP. And I'm like, he hasn't changed that much, has he? Yeah. The the feints, I think you're right, are like a really major improvement. And 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 even then, you know, like he he dropped OSP really quickly yeah. into that fight. There's a reason that Pe- Pe- 
Pedro. Say it however you like. I mean, Pedro is wrong, whether that's how they say yeah. it. Yeah. There's a reason that Pedro was considered to be a very top prospect yeah. when he first hit the UFC. The talent is obviously there. Yeah. It's just that, you know, he was raised to fight by by somebody who stabbed him for fun. <laughs> like that's true. Yes. His dad stabbed him. And like he and his dad yeah. are like super close. But they're like just like the most kind of deranged close that you can imagine. Yeah, like you close in the way where you get the sense that Tyson is plotting his revenge. Exactly. Like, and they they would both find it hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you got me, son. Boy, I didn't yeah. in that situation. I have not. I have not been up on that. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then yeah, but it's also not super easy to say what it was that wasn't working for for Tyson before. It's just yeah. that like his opponents could like figure out how to do something, and he kind of just tended to collapse. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's it's like maybe he's extended the period in which he can be dominating a smaller, slower opponent uh, a bit by introducing some a, a few more nuances to his striking. But I have yet to see anything to indicate that he won't collapse when things start to go wrong. Yeah, it's hard. It's impossible to know. We, right. we just haven't been given I have to assume he still will. I mean, I have to assume. Yeah, that, I have no reason to assume otherwise, basically. Yeah. But, um, you know, is Modestus Bukowskis a make somebody collapse kind of fighter? Not at all. Right. Is this a guy who's going to f- find a little advantage, c- create a little crack, and then wedge it open to start dominating? Not really, you know. He had that fight with Chuck Campbell, five and one. Mm-hmm. Took him th- th- more than three rounds. Yeah. Um, to like find a way to actually get him out of there. He's just uh, he is himself too patient, too passive. Um, you know, pretty solid straight puncher moves okay. But he doesn't exactly jump on opportunities. So, I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. I, I suppose I'll, uh, I don't know. I mean, the, the real thing is it's just like, it's just harder to pick Pedro uh, against anything resembling a decent opponent, which Bukowskis is, because like he, he's, he is the classic only win, wins when he's winning the whole time, and it happens in the first round fighter. And that has still been the case in these last two fights where everyone's been mm-hmm. so amazed by his improvements. Um, yeah. So I just don't... I, I have I have no reason to think that even if just Bukowskis just kind of stays in there. That, That's true. But that I Pedro still think... That, won't melt down. That he won't just melt down. But it does usually still take the opponent like doing something about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll take Bukowskis because I, I do know that, yeah, like this, he is a fighter capable of keeping up a decent pace for a you know a decent pace if it's brought to him yeah. for a long time he's a pretty calm fighter um and yeah he's definitely more reliable uh in the deep waters of any fight than Tyson Pedro who uh yeah just completely blows up when he can't crush somebody basically out of the gate so i guess i'll take Bukowskis. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that I'm glad of that at least that we'll uh, we'll have a difference of uh, picks here. Mm-hmm. I, I just for me, 
I think that the feints are probably enough. They're enough to get uh, Pedro into the middle, into the middle area of light heavyweight that he should be occupying. Yeah. I think just that alone is enough to confuse enough fighters that, you know, uh, that he can he can pick up wins when he should be picking them up. Because it's just, it's the kind of division that just doesn't have, you know, there, there's a lot of Kuda Lava in this division. <laughs> Kuda Lava's Lava all the way everywhere. down. Kuda Lava's all the way down. And Bukowskis, it just, there is, the durability is kind of there. Kind of. Kind of. The, uh, you know, the size is there, but just everything else is not. <laughs> yeah. You know, he just doesn't put anything, given his best, given an opponent doing nothing, he does nothing too. You know, you know, you, you know, you um, know. I mean, I, I think, I think, I mean, you can, you can overstate it to a degree. I mean, like, yeah. he, it's not like he wasn't finding moments against like Roundtree, for example, especially against sure. aggressive opponents. Yeah. Kauskas is going to connect on a lot of straight punches as long as they're kind of pressuring him. That's what he wants to do. I think as long as he can like rinky dink his shoulders into place for him. My God, I, I feel like I've rarely seen a fighter where you can see like each individual muscle have to engage to throw <laughs> a straight punch. Yeah. <laughs> like nothing yeah. comes natural. Nothing about his punching motion comes naturally to him, but it's been drilled to be proper form. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I gotta pick, I think the, the fainting of Pedro is just going to, throw a huge wrench in him. I think he's gonna bite on it really hard and I don't I think if Pedro brings that to him as pressure, he's not gonna be able to respond to it. So Yeah, it could be. I just think it happened it's it's the it's actually a style matchup where Bukowskis does know what to do. He doesn't have to like find a path because Pedro wants to back people up and Yeah. And and draw things out of them. And what he what he doesn't want to draw out of them is like you know, relatively clean, straight punches and footwork. Yeah, so, I don't know. I, 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 I think there's a chance you see one or the other guy just being very flummoxed by a pretty basic dynamic. The thing is, though, that what's really flummoxed Pedro over the over over time hasn't been like straight punches and footwork. It's been well, he hasn't guys... encountered it. It's like yeah. heavyweight. He hasn't encountered. He hasn't had the chance to find out if he gets straight punches and footwork. Usually, it's f the physicality of tying up with guys and yes. his expectation that he can just grab them and horse them around and being like, "Oh wow, this guy is actually really strong." Yeah. That is absolutely the case. I, what I'm taking a flyer on here is that like he had, literally hasn't faced like anything remotely like a decent boxer. Yeah. Wow. You know that 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 will still be true after this fight. <laughs> But <laughs> he's closer than anyone else. He's sure. closer, okay. He's closer than Harry Hunsucker. Yeah, fair enough. And and or OSP or or whoever, you know. 
Lukaskis opened at plus 700, dropped to plus 218, is currently at plus 199. Pedro opened at minus 1,000, jumped what? up to minus 270, and or 276, is currently minus 246. This is a plus minus 150 kind of fight. I mean, at least at least it ended in a, it's something like a yeah. reasonable range. Minus 1,000 to open. I have to assume, deal with that. I have to assume that it's a, re- a, a, a regional sports book that they're yeah. getting their opening line off of that is, you know, maybe the same kind of people that set a line for, uh, who was it? That was it like 900. Oh yeah. Jack Della Maddalena at minus 900. Yeah. And like, they are just pandering to a local market that they know is going to bet local. Yeah. But is that a good idea? Don't you? Yeah. To have a, a guy be like, if you know that people are going to bet true, on Tyson okay. Pedro no matter what, think about it. then yeah, you put him in a ridiculously wide line. That makes sense. I had to think about it. It involved math, so it took me five yeah. seconds of silent squinting to realize that that makes <laughs> that that makes. You're sense. lucky. You're, you're lucky that it was that it was at nine and and not eleven. Otherwise, you would have had to take your socks off. <laughs> <laughs> getting very hot, Zane. <laughs> Sweating. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Joshua Kulabau versus Melsik Bogdasarian. And uh, this is a well-booked fight. It is, yeah. It, it, Kulabau, you could say, kind of deserves a little more after that draw against Jordan and then beating Nurdenbeke and Sungwoo Choi. Mm-hmm. But Kulabau has really comported himself quite well at this level. But the truth is, is that he's most likely to be in an infinite loop of fighting guys like Melsik Bogdasarian and Sungwoo Choi and Shailan Nerdembeke. Yeah, it's true. Of just a constant parade of mid-card action fighters where every now and then he's going to lose really badly. And a lot of times he's going to come through with like a sneaky good fight because... Not many, you know, we've talked about the the Bilal Muhammad's, the um, Iron Turtles, um, the Don Jungs, the, uh, or not Don Jungs, but part, uh, uh, There's the Sung- other guy whose no. name I'm now forgetting again. You're thinking of Jin Young Park. Sung Young Park. Jin Young Park. Oh, my God. Or Jung Young Park, yes. And, um, and the middleweight the that we... Guy. Yeah. <laughs> That we've forgotten again. Yeah, uh, who fought the Diaz guy, Maximov? Yeah, even though we like him, we yeah. keep forgetting. You know, it. I, I gotta, I gotta dig this up because it's just gonna bother me so much. Okay, Nick Maximov, uh, Jacob Malkoon. That's right. The Jacob Malkoons, the Joshua Kulabows, the Jen Young Parks. These, these are the fighters out there that are athletically underwhelming and just show up with a plan for everyone. And they make you realize how few other fighters show up with a plan. Mm-hmm. Cause you see the guys that do it when they have to do it. And you're like, Oh, that's what it looks like when you actually change your approach for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, that I mean, honestly, if if Kulabau shows up prepared, Melsik Bogdasarian is a very winnable fight because mm-hmm. he kicks like a mule, 
He is utterly confused about what to do with his hands. And he doesn't really have a defensive plan or any other plan but be fast and dynamic from range and kick really hard. You know? He, mm-hmm. Bagdasarian is the prototype of guy figuring out what kind of fight he's going to have in the middle of the fight he's having. And usually that just means defaulting to a range kicking attack because that's where he's most comfortable. Yeah. And that leaves a lot of room to, you know, go out and catch a kick and take somebody down or to push them against the fence and just kind of grind on them and be busy to land a counter inside of a wild punch. These are all things that Kulabau is very capable of doing while at the same time absolutely getting kicked twice as hard as anything he can land. Yeah. Although I will say Kulabau, it does tend to hurt people. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that is just being smart enough to know when to surprise him. Yeah, he's accurate. You know, he's got pretty good yeah. timing. And, and yeah, he does seem to, to find the uh, the right openings. When he gets in with his hands, he does, he does tend to shake his opponents up despite yeah. Not visibly looking like a power hitter. Definitely. So I'm I'm gonna pick him here. Yeah. I think this is a very winnable. You know, it's certainly um, a, a more dissectable opponent than Charles Jordan, mm-hmm. who Kulabau uh, fought his way to a very you know hard battle draw, and. Uh, yeah, otherwise, you know, maybe a lot like the Sung Wu Choi fight, except with the kicks instead of the punches. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's a really violent range attack out there waiting, but a lot of different paths to solve that and not have to deal with that if you're willing to not go and reset from distance every time you throw one strike, mm-hmm. which is what so many of Bogdasarian's opponents have done to this point to keep him winning fights. Yeah. No, I think Kulabau is definitely capable and will probably find out that the right thing to do is to pressure and yeah. stay in Bogdasarian's face at middle distance. And um, look for yeah, counter books, clinch him up, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of. Yeah. It always takes a lot for me to be convinced by a guy like Bogdasarian's game. Honestly. Yeah. His comfort zone is something that is like a range that, is pretty easily penetrated because uh, kicks aren't actually a great way of maintaining distance. Yeah. Uh, if you have a mind to crash through them, it's, you know, a kick is not a jab. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's not something that like, oh, you might run into this, especially because it's, you know, the guy can throw some side kicks and stuff, but a side kick isn't even, isn't even as good as say like a teep. Which yeah. I would still argue is not quite as diverse uh, as a uh, flexible in its function as a jab. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can generate a lot of force with the side kick. You can yeah, ha- you can be very fast with a teep, but the, the true nature of both strikes is that to throw them, you have to get up on one leg. You're on one leg. And if you're on one leg, your opponent has a clear opportunity to push you over and to push forward and to take the distance and to take the momentum away from you because you're going to be yeah. off balance. One of the major benefits of a jab is that it takes like next to zero time to recover from throwing. Yeah. 
Whereas that is functionally untrue of even the fastest kicker because he has yep. to put his foot back down. Yeah. You know, um, even somebody like Yair who throws a ton of violent kicks and throws them in huge volume and throws them in huge variety often ends up unbalanced and giving up range and having his opponent crash in on him because it's just really hard to maintain balance when you're when, when you're kicking a lot and having somebody know that kick getting through your kicks is going to be key to them. Yeah. And so unless uh, Bogdasarian one of these days unveils like a, the, the boxing game that like Umar Nurmagomedov just showed off, mm-hmm. which I was endlessly impressed by, especially because I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Um, then I'm going to take a guy like uh, cool about it's, it's, it's right there on the table for him to just, yeah, again, just stay in his face, put a pace on him and, uh, and working with some boxing. So, yeah. And it's, it's notable too, that, you know, while he TKO'd Colin Anglin in the second round, Bagdasarian's his ability to be a dynamic finisher has largely dried up at the UFC level. Yeah. He can throw one or two strikes at a time really hard, but everybody knows what's coming. They know what his plan is. They know what he's trying to do. And they're durable enough usually to, to eat one or two strikes and come back. And he's going to be out there. He's going to reset every time, you know, Mm -hmm. he is the guy the reason you don't want to be out there resetting with Bogdasarian is because he's going to reset and that's your opportunity to do something else. And it, you know, he's not, he's not a, he's not going to create a lot of easy knockouts for himself with that kind of style. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if I, if it's going to be a three round fight, I got to assume Kulabau is going to come out prepared to win rounds. He's been good at it. He's been great at it. Mm-hmm. It really has, yeah. It, he has the, he has the ultimate thing that all these guys need to uh, to even come close to winning at this level, which is just preparation and and discipline. That he just yeah. when he knows what to do, he sticks to it and is like perfectly willing to accept that. Yeah, like that, like you said, you're going to get hit with a, a kick that is way harder than anything you can throw, and that is just part of winning. Yeah. None of these little tactical missteps are a loss. As long as you're continuing to stick to the game plan, you're winning. Yeah, I mean, and this is a dude too who he came up by, you know, with a he got to the UFC with an eight and zero record built on terrible competition, mm-hmm. and so it really shows how good his his mental game is because he's a subpar athlete who has not been battle hardened to get here. You know. Yeah. These are not lessons learned through the depths of a you know twenty fight career where he's had to just kind of figure everything out on the way. The, the dude is you know yeah he, he had he had the right ideas against Jalen Turner when he made yeah. his short notice debut up a division against a, a guy who is functionally a welterweight. Yeah, you know? I think Kulabau has even more than a lot of these fighters a, a pretty remarkable sort of poise and uh, yeah determination to his approach. I, I would be absolutely shitting my pants off if I was fighting somebody like Jalen Turner, <laughs> yeah. right? On short notice, n- no less. Yeah. Yeah, he always comports himself very well. Odds on the bout, Kulabau is dead even with Bogdasarian. Opened at plus 110, dropped to minus 117, currently minus 112. Bogdasarian opened at minus 130, jumped up to minus 104, currently minus 110. I think Kulabau should be a favorite, honestly. Yeah. 
I, I don't think Bakasarian has proven to be all that uh, impressive. Yeah, he's not finishing people. His fights where he doesn't finish people often end up looking closer than they they should. Mm-hmm. And Kulabau, he you know he has a knack for creating gritty wins like this. This doesn't. I can see the reason that the odds should still be close. I'm not saying that Kulabau should be like a huge favorite or something, but just if I'm gonna lean one way, it's towards Kulabau's round winning style over. Bogdasarian's general athletic talents. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to a flyweight battle. Shannon Ross, Cladson Rodriguez, Cladson Rodriguez, as it may be. God knows. God knows. Those um, damn. The, well, the, the, yeah, I'll just say it's the Portuguese's fault because Brazil would didn't, you know, they wouldn't have this damn language if it weren't for the Portuguese. No, it's the Portuguese. Yeah, the many ills they have visited upon humanity. Mm-hmm. Those nasal Spanish-speaking bastards. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've got a flyweight fight here. Um, UFC continues to just sort of bulk out the flyweight roster. Mm-hmm. And I, I do say bulk intentionally because uh, they, they do keep managing to find flyweights where I'm like, I'm not that impressed by this guy. Um, yeah, Shannon Ross is one of these guys. Clayton Rodriguez was one of these guys. I've now seen him in the UFC. Uh, I know, if, I think exactly how impressed to be by him now, and I think he's probably going to have a hard time with Shannon Ross. Which is not to say that I like the look of Shannon Ross's game. Yeah, uh, particularly Shannon Ross's punching. I hate it. He's yeah. really awkward combination puncher. Um, he, 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 he strikes me as a guy with like very stiff hips because mm-hmm. when he throws, it's like he does the thing most MMA people do when they're throwing a right hand, his back foot just instantly flies off the ground. Um, a thing so common that many people watching don't even know that you're not supposed to do that. Um, but the whole, his whole body like has to like fling itself forward when he throws a right hand, he kind of has to, he has to chuck it. In, in so many words, in, 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 to, you know, in, in several meanings. <laughs> yeah. The most Chuck Liddell of punches. Yeah. Um, it's not even as smooth as Chuck. I mean, let's be honest. Chuck yeah. had a kind of feel for his own mess of, of a punching style. Um, so, yeah. And then he has to kind of bodily go forward. But he is a patently aggressive fighter. Yes. Who like if his if he wasn't comfortable with the idea of getting into wrestling exchanges and getting into clinches by accident, he'd have a problem because mm-hmm. that's how his punching operates. But he is. He likes that. Maybe it's why he learned to punch the way he does. The goal is to cover distance. Mm-hmm. And um, that's that just sounds and looks not that dissimilar from CJ Vergara. Yeah. Who I mean, Vergara is a better boxer, I think. He's tougher. That's tougher a too. Big mark in Vergara's favor. That is a thing. That's true. Um, because Rodriguez is a pretty powerful striker. Yeah, Rodriguez is the kind of fighter where I I just wish he wasn't here. That's yeah, just, right. I just feel like he has more potential than he's probably going to realize in the UFC. Yeah, he he he's at the UFC at a point where his style has not been honed to be a flyweight effective style. He's not nearly active enough. He yeah. gives too much for a guy who 
should be who has the potential to be a, a, a top tier athlete. You know. Yeah, I he, think so. He's fast. Base, yeah, he's powerful. He's tough and durable and True. gritty. And he has some beautiful single techniques. It's true. But he just let CJ Vergara boss him around. Yeah. Uh, just like just slow, methodical pressure. And you could also see that 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 nice, crisp, singular technique started to fall apart when he was called on to make like several succession, se- several decisions in rapid succession. Mm-hmm. Where like even some of the good ideas he was having, he just wasn't executing them well. He would throw a counter and just like, you know, it'd be an inch overthrown or an inch underthrown and just a great idea. Doesn't actually, it lands, but not clean. Yeah. And then Vergara comes back and just cracks him with just like a single jab. And, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it looks like a much less meaningful punch, but it lands with way more effect. This yeah. kind of exchange happened over and over against Vergara. Uh, it just—he just looked very uncomfortable. He ended up looking quite timid. Yep. Because Vergara didn't mind getting into exchanges and was perf- was really happy to just walk forward through them and keep his game going. Um. So yeah, the durability could be an issue, but I do look at Ross and I see this. This is a dude who does know he's going to get hit. It doesn't really yep. change the way he fights, and he's probably going to stay in Rodriguez's face, and he is going to um, find some wrestling opportunities because of that too especially because Rodriguez has also not yet learned not to fire off a bunch of kicks when somebody is pressuring the hell out of him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of take this as a Rodriguez's inexperience combined with a, a rough style matchup. I'm not really impressed by Ross, but uh, I agree with you. I don't think Rodriguez is really ready yet. I'm still going to pick Rodriguez here. I, this is me. This is me holding clinging to hope. Mm-hmm. Clinging to life because I think he, I think the right experience and the right training and all that, like it might just be that it'll be five years of hell that gets Rodriguez to being a top tier fighter. Might never happen, but it yeah. might also just be, you know, one of those things where he has to travel the the most difficult path to becoming an elite talent. But the potential is there, mm-hmm. and. One of the big things for Ross was just like, you know, he didn't win his fight on the contender series. Yeah, he got flattened. And he didn't win it in part because he was very hurtable. And he got hurt. It wasn't just like, oh, he got knocked out eventually. He got Mm -hmm. hurt multiple times through that fight. Mm -hmm. And Clayton Rodriguez has the power to do that. You know, he, he is not less wild or he's not more wild than Vinicius Salvador. He's sure. less he's less aggressive. He's less functionally, you know, front foot and confident. Yeah. Which is going to be a big problem. Makes this fight a toss up. But. I'm I really think that. I really think Ross is just not made to compete at a high level at flyweight. Mm hmm. Honestly, and I no, think I, this, I agree. I, I, yeah. I really do agree. And I think this is the kind of fight where, you, you know, I think unfortunately for him, it's just going to be really hard to win any bouts at this level, even against good matchups. Because if durability is a, a factor at flyweight, then you're in you're in trouble. Yeah, that may be. 
I don't I don't think Ross is out there getting knocked out every fight. No, he's not out there getting knocked um, out every it's fight. It's still definitely a problem. Yeah. It's it's a problem with the way he fights and the, the athleticism he lacks. Yeah. Like CJ Vergara made it work because he is, you know, he really is incredibly tough. Yeah. Just hyper durable. It's true. And and I mean part of it is too because he he is actually genuinely in like a good fundamental position. Yeah. Like he is a better boxer than Shannon yeah. Ross, no question. Yeah. Uh his just his stance, the fact that he's not exposing himself constantly, he's balanced, enables him to take shots. Mm-hmm. But but I will I will emphasize that a lot of the shots he was able to take they weren't clean because Rodriguez wasn't comfortable enough to land them cleanly. This is true. He, he was flailing, you know. The, uh, the other big thing that I I like though that I'm picking Rodriguez for is mm-hmm. no matter how discouraged and tired he got in that fight against Vergara, yeah, he threw heat all the way to the end of it. That's true. He was exhausted. And in the third round, he was still standing in and throwing serious hooks. Yeah, you know? it'd be a lot easier to pick Ross if he had shown a tendency to crumble or something, but he did not crumble. Yeah. So yeah. I think I just I, I just think this is a, an issue of timing, really. Is why. Yeah, it is. I mean, this is a fight that I would. I think Rodriguez would absolutely win with better prep, with more time. You know, and maybe the Vergara fight taught him the lessons that he needed to learn. That would That's be great. always. There's always that hope. Great athletes, they can jump, they can make jumps forward. For sure. It's, you know, we just have to hope he didn't learn the Alexander Hernandez lesson. Yeah. Where he's just then in perpetual career limbo from here on out. If he becomes technical. (laughs) Yeah. If he becomes capital T technical, he's definitely going to lose this because it's not going to be that kind of fight. Yeah. But even, you know, even in the Hernandez world or that kind of thing, Hernandez still went out there and would just demolish lesser athletes when, you know, he could be the physical boss. So. That's true. That is true. I I am going to pick Rodriguez to win via athletic cheating, where he will probably just lose the first round of this fight and then land some, like, wild jumping switch kick. And yeah. people will be like, oh, my God, what a prospect here. Fight, you know, Tajiro Lambakov next. <laughs> <laughs> it's over forever. Yeah. Yeah. I would really like to see him make a, to, to have leveled up. You would love Dude. to just see him be like, wait, I am stronger and more durable than this guy. I will just pressure the whole time and I don't care what he does. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I think Ross is a fighter definitely out of his element. If the opponent backs him up for sure. Yeah. I'm like, and if he does, and if Ross doesn't take a step back, great. Meet him in the pocket and you know, yeah, just dub, blast double him off his feet. Yeah, Rodriguez, you've got the speed. You know. Yep, I just think it's a career timing thing that has me. Yeah, Rodriguez is a favorite. He opened at minus one eighty three. Is down at minus three thirty three. Ross opened at plus one fifty eight. He's currently up at plus two sixty one. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Jamie Malarkey, Francisco Prado. This fight was originally supposed to be Nazrat Hakparast versus Jamie Malarkey, mm. which would be a phenomenal fight. Hakparast mm-hmm. uh, needs to be... Challenges like Jamie Malarkey are exactly the kind of fights that Hakparast loses when he shouldn't. Yeah. And 
challenges like Nasrat Hawkfrost for Jamie Malarkey are the kind of fights where it's always really fun to see if Malarkey can win because he's such a hard-nosed, aggressive, underwhelming athlete who tries hard. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was an awesome booking. Uh, Francisco Prado, this is me talking about it, he's mm-hmm. just going to get mopped. Yeah. Like, Prado... You know the main he, reason why? Why? His face is too small for his head. <laughs> it is a very small face on a very serious Charlie Kirk syndrome here. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Yeah, this is like <laughs> Charlie Kirk's Argentine brother. <laughs> yeah, something strange is going on with this guy. But Prado has the look of... He is the kind of guy that if you are a admin dude at American Top Team or at AKA or wherever else, you're going out and you're looking at a dude like Francisco Prado and you're like, you know, we would uh, give you a $500 a month stipend to come here and train and be training partners with some of our other fighters. Mm -hmm. And get you fights because the kid has all the physical tools. He's got the potential. He's got the toughness. He has the, you know, he he has the will to be an aggressive fighter. Mm -hmm. He is currently the can crusher that, that crushes can crushers. On the Argentine regional scene, like you look at his record offhand, you'd be like, "Zane, what are you talking about?" Yeah, like, these are all winning opponents. Yeah, he's he's clearly been tested. Uh, he is, you know, uh, he's fighting dudes that are, uh, you know, like what? Gotta here we go. Fighting dudes that are thirteen and three, six and zero, oh, eight and two. Like these are the kind for a kid in his first ten fights. These are the kind of fight. These are good fights. Then you look, you click Jose Barrios Vargas, thirteen and three. Wins are over guys that are nine eleven, nine eleven, three and one, eight and eight. And Adrian per- Peroni is six and zero. His opponents are seventeen and twelve, zero and three. Yeah, five. You know, five and one, zero and zero, zero and zero, zero and two. All of he his. Is a, he is a manufactured prospect. Yes. And I don't know. Can... I don't know. Do you think it's? I mean, it has to be deliberate. Like, what is the system going on in Argentine MMA where he's I, I mean, cultivated I, these like good looking on paper, but meaningless wins. There's probably a little bit of actual, you know, underhanded work there. But I would also just say that it's the natural progression of a bad, uh, of a weak regional scene. Yeah. Sure. Where if you want, if you're a guy like Prado fighting in Argentina at home, and you're trying to fight the best guys you can find to fight in Argentina, you're going to find the dudes that that are winning all the really shitty fights that they take. Because there are going to be plenty of dudes that are losing all the shitty fights they take. Sure. And then 
if you're beating the guys that are bad, that are the best of the guys that are bad, you're going to, you're going to put together a record like Prado. And that's just going to be the best competition you can find on that regional scene. It's also, you know, you could say, well, you can be, you know, like uh, Ponzinibbio and go to Brazil mm-hmm. and fight in deeper water. You know, you don't have to fight on the Argentine regional scene. So that's that's where the padding comes in. Yeah. Is the satisfaction of being a big fish in a small pond. Mm-hmm. But I don't blame him for it. It got him here. It's just going to get him absolutely crushed by malarkey because malarkey as a naturally hyper aggressive will do anything kind of fighter if you can't wrestle jamie malarkey will take you down and out wrestle you with without a moment's hesitation mm-hmm. and francisco prado cannot wrestle yeah that's even a little the losses he has had uh already in his career or no he hasn't had losses in his career but the fights he's had in his career that are anything other than like instant wins. You go back to like Diego Baswaldo at Samurai Fight House three. <laughs> and it's Baswaldo just owning him on the mat for a whole round. And then Prado hitting a flying knee off a scramble and th- that being enough to drop him and get him pounding him out like you know thing with yeah fighting can crushers is they have no resistance they have no knowledge of what to do when the fight gets hard yeah and his opponents that's what happens it's like and, okay. and it won't just be jimmy malarkey's wrestling either i mean that is the obvious massive gap yeah but, but i think it will just be the attitude of jimmy malarkey will yes. be a horribly rude awakening yeah because malarkey is a dude who does not know that he's not good enough yeah, to compete at, at at the highest level, and it allows him to do it. Yeah, uh, he he is a patently aggressive fighter, and yeah. yeah, like he really goes in there like he is like, you know, like God's gift to knockout fans. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think even on the feet, I think it seems quite likely that he is going to shock the hell out of Prado. Yeah, this the only is... trouble is he's going to have a hard time hitting him in the face. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yeah no i don't have a lot to add to that break and i think uh, we 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 tend we have a way we tend to go with certified can crushers yeah and prado is nothing if not a slightly sneakier can crusher yeah and like i said you know there's potential there there's the athleticism there's the raw aggression there he looks like a beast to do something more it's just it needs more it, it needs better training it needs better training and it needs experience. He's getting, he'll get the experience. Yep. But the training needs to be there. Cause right now it's definitely the big fish at a tiny gym that is not teaching him everything. Yeah. Opened at Prado, opened at plus 210, dropped plus 205, currently up at plus 218. Uh, Malarkey opened at minus 250, currently minus 270, trending pretty sharply in his favor. I yeah, I would not be surprised to see Malarkey anchoring a lot of parlays as a pretty reasonable value right now. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, that brings us to a featherweight bout: Jack Jenkins, Don Shanus. Both of which sound completely like made-up names. 
Jenkins is one like misplaced consonant away from being a Japanese football game name. <laughs> John uh, Jenkins. And, yeah, John John Jenkins. Um, <laughs> and and Don Shanus is already there. Yeah, yeah. These are creative fighter names. Um, it, I actually, I weirdly really like Jack Jenkins's game. Yeah. Even though I think it's really dysfunctional. It is single track and it is absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he has every clue of what he's trying to do. There is yeah. there are no questions with the Jack Jenkins fight. Yeah, I mean, we were talking not long ago about the uh, the dearth of like uh, developed ground and pound in MMA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a ground and pound specialist. It is. Uh, this is a guy who it's usually a pretty basic system. Like you know, as we were saying, it hasn't really gone beyond like Tito Ortiz kind of figured it out. Yeah, and that still works. But uh, yeah, Jack Jenkins is out there doing it. Yeah, just get into strong positions. This is not a guy who feels that he necessarily has to pass your guard to start beating you up. He doesn't rush too much mm-hmm. in those positions. He's fairly accurate. He picks his shots and crushes people and um, is a decent scrambler while not super quick. He's a he's like a very sticky scrambler. Yeah, because um, I have definitely seen him going for strikes and getting off balanced and you're like, ooh, that shouldn't happen if this is your entire game, which it obviously is. But he, he tends to kind of find his way through the scramble. He will find more a than, leg, drive through. Um, more than a lot of guys that we compare make this comparison for, there's a lot of Darren Elkins in, oh, yeah. in Jack Jenkins. And, Absolutely. You know, the wrestling technique is, is, is less, is more lacking, because that was always the stalwart part of Elkins yeah. game early, early but even like late Elkins when he didn't have the drive, the leg drive, and like yeah, the the speed where is just the goal is to connect part of my body to yours, and if I get that connection, yeah. I will work like hell to make something happen. That is what what Jack Jenkins reminds me of very much. Yeah. and um, and the wrestling is is the major reason why that game does not look like more promising. Yes. Because, and again, he will also, he does other cool things I like with wrestling. Mm-hmm. You see some cool foot sweeps. You know, you see some tricky takedowns. Yeah. Like, this is a dude who can who can get you down several different ways from the clinch. Doesn't have mm-hmm. to be a shot. And thank God for him, because his shot is terrible. Yeah. He's, he's very slow. He doesn't yeah. seem to really know how to level change. Yeah. This is um, one of those, ty- th- those things where, like, I watch tape on Jack Jenkins. I'm like... Man, this is a super limited game. His opponent is going to blow him up. And yeah. then I watched that tape on Don Chanis. I'm like, okay, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Jack Jenkins is also fun because he you feel that way about a portion of every one of his fights until yeah. you see him get to his spots. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, he's actually pretty good. Yeah. But the whole picture doesn't function. Um, and this, is, of course, goes without saying that his striking is largely non-existent. Mm-hmm. And and should probably get blown up by anybody who can keep the fight there. Yeah. But Don, yeah, Don Shane is loves guy. getting he loves getting out grappled. <laughs> he really loves, loves it. it. Really just he's got one of those leg scissor fetishes. <laughs> <laughs> he's exercising it through his MMA career. Yeah. I mean, there 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 are very few fights where Shaneus doesn't start off in a good position on the ground just going absolutely insane trying to land shots and isn't like swept within like 10 seconds. 
Yeah. He is not a controlled grappler. No. And he nor does he have the control in his striking to stay out of the tie-ups that will lead to a grappling fight. Yeah. So I am definitely picking Jack Jenkins. Yeah. It's going to be yeah. weird and ugly and dysfunctional, but once he gets to his spots, he is going to flatten Don Janus on the ground. Yeah. It, it is a testament to Shanus's toughness and his uh, desire, I think, probably, mm-hmm. that he has the record he has. Oh, yeah. Like, there is I mean, some, more often than is... not, he just sheer grits his way out of the position he was swept into and then gets swept again shortly thereafter. But he's definitely yeah. a gritty fighter. There is something going on with him. There is a fire burning in him to to be somebody in MMA. Yeah. And it is keeping him keeping him trucking, making him a hard fighter to dissuade. Yeah. But um it is ev- everything is on the razor's edge. You know, this is not even a like, oh, he's a, just a quadruple A kind of dude who is going to win a lot on the regionals and then can't cut it at the top at at, at the upper levels. It's just like yeah. You know, even on the regionals, he is you're like, wow. He's barely scraping by. Yeah. Yeah, why on earth, again, did they make him fight Sadiq Youssef in his UFC debut? Uh, he, he picked up the phone. I mean, this, that, he was on a five-fight win streak, including a, a win over Jay Ellis. <laughs> and he they needed somebody on short notice to fight Youssef, who was supposed to fight... Giga uh, Chikadze, I yeah, think. Jay, Jay Ellis, by the way, for people who don't know, record currently stands at 16 and 107. Yeah. So if that isn't a definition of a professional opponent, I don't know what is. And yeah, Shane has picked up the phone and uh, see, he fights out of. Just yeah, like he doesn't even person. fight out of a big gym. So I'm, I'm really not sure why he was high yeah. on the list of dudes to call. It just seems like a particularly cruel piece of matchmaking. Oh, at that, least, this at least looks like a kind of... He was the Cage Titans champ at the time, so... Okay, look at his defenses. The, I know, but it was the UFC taking taking a regional champ on short notice kind of thing. Yeah. But it was a very cruel bit of matchmaking. Very cruel. At, at least Jack Jenkins looks like the kind of dude he might have fought on the regionals. Like, this yeah. isn't a huge leap up from what he he's capable of winning, so... Sadiq yeah. Yusuf is horribly unreasonable matchmaking for him. It really is. No, no universe in which he ever beats Sadiq. Odds on this bout. Shanus is the underdog here. Opened at plus 240. He's currently up at plus 281. Jenkins opened at minus 300 and is currently down at minus 360. That gets us to a woman strawweight bout, Loma, Look Wound Me, Elise Reed. And, uh, you know, this is great booking. This is a well-booked fight yeah. taking advantage of Look Wound Me's ability to probably never climb beyond mid-card action fighter in the strawweight division. Yeah. Which I hope they stay, they should keep her there forever and keep booking her in these kinds of fights forever because she's fun as hell in these kinds of fights. Yeah. It's just, you know, open an atom weight division for the woman or just keep her around for fun. Yeah. She's a, she is a novelty fighter, basically. That's what she's yeah. good for. 
She exactly. has a style that most other people don't have that nobody else in the UFC replicates. And yeah, she's just interesting to watch. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think she's going to beat Elise Reed. Mm-hmm. Reed is, she has a really good, like, it's it's clear that Taekwondo really instilled a sense of motion transfer into her over the years. What do you mean by motion transfer? Like she or she transfer she can she can transfer the motion of her feet into the motion of her hands. I mean it's weight transfer, but like also you know she steps really well. She doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't. That's it's like it, when she's sitting down i don't know that she necessarily transfers her weight as well as when she is starting forward and it it really it did her that benefit and then it's kind of watching her is also then kind of seeing all the other problems with traditional using traditional martial arts as a base yeah for mma for actually fighting people yeah because it just doesn't set her up to do anything else. No. She can transfer her weight and her motion into one really big strike. Right. And every single thing after that is requires a complete full body reset. Yeah. And it's not that there's no such thing as a... Um, she really does look like a Taekwondo fighter. Yeah. And it's not that Taekwondo fighters don't uh, do you know their own versions of combinations. Yeah, there's some dazzling combinations in like Olympic Taekwondo, but uh, these exist at a range where the other person is also trying to do Taekwondo. Yeah, uh, and if it, you know, where you can connect like complicated sequences of kicks together. Yeah, and this just isn't really possible when your first strike puts you in a range where your MMA fighting opponent or your kickboxing opponent can just do other stuff to you. I will yeah. say. I think like most Loma fights, this is likely to be a lot like closer and tougher oh, for yeah. her than it really should be. Yeah, it, it, it'll be close. She will she will get stung at some yes, point. She will. Uh, she still has a really big problem of uh, not have like. I don't even want to say she doesn't have a natural clinch entry because she has natural clinch en- entries off her punches. But getting into range to punch for her mm-hmm. means traveling through punching range for her opponent. Yeah. Where she can be lit up on the way. And it's always too, that there is just a, you know, there is the ability for her, no matter how good her clinch is to just get out physical in the clinch yep. by somebody who can survive her clinch. Mm-hmm. If she can't, I, I doubt that's going to be Elise Reed, but yeah, but it, you know, it could be almost anyone. You, true. you kind of have to find out in each in each Loma fight, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, is she going to get to the clinch now and just conquer her opponent, or is she going to get to the clinch now and be able to kind of do something for a minute there, but also struggle? Yeah, it's also like, what does winning the clinch in Muay Thai necessarily mean? Yeah. Like uh, uh, half the time, Loma will just like dump somebody with like, Mm -hmm. um, and I will say, you know, actually, I was going to say with no intention of falling them to the ground. That's not necessarily true. She does still does that. Yeah. Where it's like in Muay Thai, this scores big points. Drop somebody on their ass, walk away, 
look like a badass. You know, don't look at them as they fall to the ground. Action hero shit scores well at Muay Thai. She's doing very well to to dump people right into side control. Yeah, she actually and, and has shown some growing aptitude for working on the ground. Where yeah. it's still a problem that she's small, but her technical game is definitely expanding to cover that. Yep. But yeah, a lot of her clinches aren't really uh, prioritizing the same goals yeah. that other MMA fighters do in the clinch. That she's not, you know, clinching with Lomo does not mean you're going to get like locked out of the fight for the rest of the rounds. Yeah. Um, it'll or often elbowed a ton. Exactly, it'll be like a you know good position, a couple strikes, and then either a break or maybe she dumps you, and maybe she falls to the ground, maybe she doesn't. Yeah. And then this compounds with the fact that she she has a pretty lackadaisical pace. Yeah. At range combined with a very lackadaisical striking defense. And it's, it's a little troubling in that as well that her the big thing that she's been doing lately to try and improve her game at strawweight yeah. is bulking. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's going to necessarily help her pace at all. No, well, yeah, probably she'll, I don't know, tire out more easily or, but yeah, the, I think her biggest problem is not even just the size. I think she could adapt her game. Yeah, I think so too. To deal with the size. It's not like she's in there just getting completely horsed around. No. Um, a, a, a lot of her losses are really more that she can't afford to get horsed around at all because everything else that's happening is really close. She, she just yeah. allows very thin margins. Yeah. I think the problem for Elise Reed is, Really, it's that Melissa Martinez fight mm-hmm. really encapsulated everything for Elise Reed that she needs to work on. Because mm-hmm. she went out there and she crushed Martinez straight away. You know? Yeah. And she comes back to her corner and she's like, I'm going to knock her out. And she goes to a really hard fought split decision in the end. Because there's just there's nothing in a fight, an Elise Reed fight that Elise Reed can control. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, there's no connective tissue. Martinez actually ended up outlanding Reed in that fight after the you know. And is just and she you know, she gives up she can get held on the fence and just held there mm-hmm. for extended period. She doesn't really seem to have an idea of what to do out of a clinch. And she can get taken down really easily. And she will, you know, she has some scrambling and some ability to, to work to get up off her back from that. But not if her opponent is really dedicated to it. Sam Hughes just blanketed her mm-hmm. that whole fight. And does Sam Hughes have an actually better top game than Loma Lukbunmi? She's stronger. I think she's bigger and stronger, yeah. But she's not technically better. No, it's not worlds away. So, yeah, I, you know, I I got to take Lukbunmi here. Like, mm-hmm. Reed can hurt her in a round, can land some good one-twos every now and then. But if she doesn't put Lukbunmi away, there's going to be a lot of clinching, a lot of takedowns that Reed is not going to be well set up to defend. Yeah. And just a lot of points where Reed is not doing very much. 
and giving Luke and me a chance to kick and, you know, keep pace and create her own pace of fight that she wants to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the Reed's pace down the stretch, especially, is perfect for Loma because yeah. that's what she wants is a nice measured striking pace where she can just land the cleaner strikes and and and, and find her way into the clinch a few times around. Um, and, and bank some control time on the ground. Yeah. And uh, that is also one area where Luke Winmi's striking specific experience will really benefit her is that because uh, because Reed is a, a dangerous fighter in singular yeah. moments, a dangerous striker. Definitely. Um, but Loma's problem has not been that she's like out there getting hurt and can't recover. She just yeah. she's she is a very calm fighter and, you know, has been hurt on the feet many, many times in her combat sports career. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's usually Reed's best hope against people is that she's going to overwhelm them with like that first glimpse of speed or power. And then they can't figure out what to do. Yeah. I just don't think that's going to be a problem. No. Look, when we opened at minus 265, currently out at minus 286. Elise Reed opened at plus 225, bounced up and down to plus 230, is currently at plus 228. Yeah, that's... That's fine, to me, honestly. I mean, maybe a little wide, actually, because look when me, every, you know, even, even in fights where she has a serious edge, they're all close. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, I still got to pick her here. I takes it to a featherweight bout, Shane Young versus Blake Builder. Mm-hmm. And this is a hard fight to call. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I, I, I Shane Young is like a better fighter worse athlete kind of thing for me yeah and and more in his own head mm. i think that there's a lot going on with shane young and fighting yeah that is not helpful to him yeah i kind of see what you mean i mean he is he has been um a, a guy who there's a vast difference between shane young feeling comfortable yeah and Shane Young feeling like his opponent, he has to respect his opponent. He really can shut down completely. Yeah. If um, if if Shane Young feels physical physicality coming back at him that yeah. he isn't prepared for, he tends to go away. Yeah. The thing is, is that Builder, I'm not very impressed with his game. It it is a. Uh, it is an attempt to create a more dynamic and creative game with very few tools. Yeah. I mean, he's trying to have like a really complicated style with basically two winging hooks and a back take game. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. He's like trying to sucker his opponent into making a mistake, you know, out there, you know, moving around. He's one of those guys you take your first glance at him and you're like, this dude is a professional fighter. He's light on his feet. Yeah. Uh, got a good looking stance. Um, you know, moves laterally, doesn't tend to run back in straight lines until a punch comes at him. Yeah. And then he's really, really awkward on defense. Just tends to do the thing where he just reaches out with both hands. An instinct which is horribly common at the higher levels of MMA, even though it's like one of the first impulses that should be just burned out of your brain. In your first weeks of striking training, you do not flail with both hands when you don't know what's coming at you. At worst comes to worst, you cover up with both hands. 
Um, so yeah, he just reacts really awkwardly. He's prone to like turning away from his opponent, trying to get away from them. All of this like the facade of good footwork kind of collapses. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but you know, he is, he does look like a great athlete. He's, yeah. he's, he's quick, he's strong. And I got to think looking at the way that, for example, Omar Morales, nobody's idea of like a, a world beating grappler was just able to like horse Shane Young off of his feet. Yeah. Uh, like within the first couple minutes of their matchup. Um, but I don't know. The, the problem I have figuring this one out is that I, I think it takes a bit of aggression to shake Young. It's not just physicality. It's like, you know, making yeah. him worry. And like Builder does seem like a inherently a pretty passive fighter. He really has a trouble. Like they say starting slow. And the yeah. thing that really seems like it is, is that he actually he has the the. He has the kind of starting slow that we used to talk about with. Well, I don't even know. I don't even know how to say it because it's it, it it's. In a way, it's like what we used to talk about with Tony Ferguson or with mm-hmm. Donald Cerrone. Yeah. Where. He pressures a lot, but he doesn't do a lot. Yeah, I just don't think he knows how to like put things together on the feet. So it it is it is the worst kind of starting slow where. He's always moving forward, and he's always right in front of his opponent. He's just not doing anything, so they just start crushing him. Yeah. You know, you watch that Regivaldo Carvalho fight, and he just got lit up for a round yeah. of that fight. And when he connects, when he actually lets his hands go, he hurt Carvalho immediately. You know, he dropped him like a sack. Right away when he started letting his hands go. A great athlete. So yeah, but yeah, I just think he he just yeah, either needs to be like uh, endlessly convinced to do something, or he. I think really ideally he wants the opponent to just make some huge unforced error. Yeah, he can capitalize. He can hit a quick takedown or tie up and take their back immediately, or. I think he thinks he's going to counter them, but even that, it, it, I don't know why, where he got that idea because yeah, he's I've never seen him land a counter. Yeah, it's really weird because it is, it is the kind of thing that makes me worry a lot about Young just going away, just drifting yeah. out of the fight because Young has a habit of that. It can happen to him, especially against good athletes. Mm-hmm. But... Man, is there not a lot going on in Builder's game? It is literally like yeah, hook, back take. Those are the two ideas. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, walk right into danger. Think I'm gonna take Shane Young just to you know be at home and not have traveled and be confident, feel himself in this fight. And like, it just feels like a, it just looks like a massive physical gap though. Like, yeah, you're right. He's, I, I, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's far, far worse uh, developed than Omar Morales, but yeah, but he did lose to young, did lose to Damian Brown at one point. Yeah. But but then even then like it does it's just yeah. no good parallel because Brown is 
Yeah, exactly. He's a he's a mad dog. Uh, yeah. And I don't know. That is a difficulty here. It just seems like Builder should be able to win by accident. Yeah, but like he's, he's going to jump on his back at some point. And exactly. Yeah, but I just have a hard time saying there's zero structure I can envision that leads him there. It's just it might it'll happen, and when the opportunity arises, he'll be ready to jump on it. That doesn't seem like a good reason to pick somebody, but it's, no. But it's the way I'm leaning. I'll stick with Young. I'll stick with the Young pick. Okay. I'll, I'll I'm I want Shane Young to be better than he is because he has this when he's feeling it. Yeah. He has this nice off-speed, busy boxing game that he does where he'll, you know, he'll work behind his jab, he'll throw little combos, and then every now and then he'll sneak in a really serious power shot. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's I fun. like Shane Young's game, but yeah, I'll stick with Builder. We'll just keep it interesting, I guess. Yeah. Uh, to essentially, yeah, have the win fall into his hands at some point. Builder is the underdog here, surprisingly. Um, well, maybe it's just the home field gambler. Yeah, thing. that thing. Uh, he opened at plus 110, dropped to minus 117 right away, and has been steadily trending back upwards, so he's at plus 113 right now. Shane Young opened at minus 130, jumped up to minus 107, and is currently back down at minus 137. So, basically dead even, slight favorite odds for Shane Young. That's kind of fine, because I, yeah. just because I, I, I just don't know how the guy I'm picking is actually going to win. <laughs> That brings us to a lightweight bout. Zubara Tukugov, Elves Brenner. <laughs> <laughs> Elves Brenner, his brother, Goblins. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> Sister Snow Elves. I, I, I don't know. I ran out of fantasy creatures way faster than I should have. Go- Goblins Marvin. We, we can start naming these guys after, like, classic hard-nosed character actors oh okay that's a good that's a good way to go you got your Brenner, you got your lee marvin you got your uh mm-hmm. let's see um yeah oh uh we we have we, we have uh trolls board nine <laughs> trolls board nine <laughs> Oh Jesus! <laughs> That's a really stupid. Um, <laughs> what was that? Where's McQueen? <laughs> yeah, Centaurs Kinski. There we go. Um, okay. <laughs> Great. Anyway. Anyway, Zubartukugov's gonna stomp this dude. Yeah, I don't know what is going on with this. Another matchup. For like, why is this the fight you made? Yeah. Whose idea was this? Tukugov is like a very much a proven fighter. Tukugov was gonna fight Joel Alvarez, who was this gonna be a lightweight bout? I guess that's the explanation. It looks like it was made on short notice. Yeah. He was, and Alvarez pulled out of that fight. That would have been a good fight. Yeah. Yeah. But. El, El, Elvez, it's actually, I think it's actually like Elvis or Elvis. Sure, it's Elvis, yeah. Yeah. Elvis Brenner. Elvis, um, or, or just maybe Elvis is how they say it. I mean, yeah. Elvis is a. Is a I, the originals, when I heard them pronounced, it was Elvis. Okay. But Elves Brenner, yeah. um, he's just, just bad. This is a case where, like, Physically, technically, 
all the parts are not there. Yeah. You know, there's some aggression there, but like this is a guy fully willing to get taken down and work off his back. Does not control positions well when he's on top. Will just step in and strike doesn't have any range tools. So he ends up trading in the pocket a lot. Yeah. He's he's tough. The durability's there because he's got three decision losses. He's never been knocked out. Looks like he should be getting knocked out all the time. He's, he should be getting knocked out. But basically, even small steps up in competition on the regional scene that he's taken have resulted in him losing fights because there's no structure to his game at all. Yeah. And Zubar Tukugov is a massive, massive step up in competition. Yeah. He is an insane athlete. He's like literally, this could be one of Tukugov's bad fights. Which also even worse for elves. It seems that Tukugov has kind of moved past that period of his career. Yeah, he, he came out against Ricardo Hamosh and was just suddenly small steps, working behind the jab, pumping right. one twos, did throw a little wrestling in when you need it, kind of fighter. And it's just like, oh my god. Yeah, and even before that, it seems like the, the the dude just he got himself a boxing coach or something. Like, yeah, he looks suddenly very structured. That's a terrible sign if that continues. Yeah, for Brenner, but it could be one of the bad Tukugov fights, and he would just win it. Yeah, uh, somehow. Yeah, yeah. Brenner, Brenner is be, very much your Nover fight, Philippe Nover fight, and oh god, yeah, he would still might most likely dog walk Brenner. This yeah, is... he, he would just land some huge shot at some point, or blow him off his feet with 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 a takedown that just occurs to him out of nowhere. Brenner is very much the guy that you expect on like a like a true regional fight card. Yeah. You know, like, like a fight, a fight, a, a promotion that's like in Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky would have this kind of like, yeah, this dude has clearly been training at a gym, but he is not being um, brought along like somebody who has a career. Yeah. So, so yeah. Uh, odds on the bout. Kugov is a massive favorite. As expected. As he should be. Yeah, opened at minus 500. It's currently back down at minus 567. And Brenner opened at plus 375. It's currently at plus 407. I mean, maybe Brenner can do a whole lot of growing if he gets <laughs> some money in his pocket. That Yeah, maybe. Maybe he can do some training that he's not getting at the moment. Yeah, so but, like there aren't individual things he he can do kind of well. He has some yeah. good ideas. It's just zero structure. Zero structure and an ability to be taken out of the fight in any position. Yeah. It is, you know, range the pocket on top. When he's on top, any position that he's in, he can lose that fight. Mm-hmm. And that is miserable against Tukugov. Like, yeah. All right. On that note, we're going to wrap things up. You can find me on Twitter at these anytime. You can find Connor on Twitter at boxing Bush. Find both of us over at bloodyelbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts uh, on bloody Elbow presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those good places. Subscribe to our Patreon. I should be leading every episode with this because it is actually important. But if you've listened this far, and you're not subscribing already, it's a huge help to us. You know, yeah. Bloody Elbow, we're taking the site independent. 
we are trying to find ways to monetize the work that we've been doing for years. And honest, if I'm being real honest with y'all, the vivisection, the sixth round, these have always been labors of love. Even yeah. when we were under Vox, these were not podcasts that we were making because Vox was throwing us money to make these. Yeah. These have always been things that we've been doing because we love doing them. So A, we would appreciate it. But B, if you have listened this far, you may as well. Yeah. Right? Yeah. To this undercard, you got all the way to Elves Brenner. Yeah, no kidding. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Admit, admit it. Admit that you need us and that it's about us and not about finding the edge on gambling on Zubera Tukugov. <laughs> all right. On that note, we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Adios. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face Podcast, and Radio Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloody elbow blog and as always on bloodyelbow.com <laughs>